I, uh, I'm very excited to be here with you uh, this morning as we continue in our series, Fruitfulness. Hey, let's turn together in our Bibles. Let's turn to uh, the book of Galatians in the New Testament. <clears throat> uh, Galatians chapter 5. This morning, I, I will read uh, from Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 26 to give us a little bit of context. And I'd actually like to start off with that this morning. So I'll wait for just a moment. If you don't have a Bible, there are uh, Bibles on the back table next to the offering box. If you don't own a Bible, we'd always love to make sure that you, you take one of those, uh, a copy home with you. They're actually quite nice. We got some hardbound ones with large print. So no dishonesty there. You have to not own a Bible uh, to take it home. So yeah, and there are plenty in the lost and found, by the way, too. So, what does that say? Hmm. <laughs> I'm just I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <clears throat> I can tell we're going to have fun this morning. Okay, I'm going to read uh, Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 13. This is Paul writing to Christians scattered throughout the Roman province of Galatia. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only... Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law, that is the law of Moses, is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? God, the Holy Spirit, we ask that you would speak this word, teach this word to our hearts this morning as we look at the first of nine character qualities that Paul refers to as fruit, 
we look at love, teach us just a little bit about what that means. Show us just a bit about how we have seen this love in Jesus displayed for us. God, empower us to then go and walk by the Spirit in love. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, as, uh, as I said a, a moment ago, last week we began a nine-week series entitled Fruitfulness. It's a series that has us examining the nine character traits that the, uh, the Apostle Paul refers to in this passage as the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, and in about 30 seconds of contextual backdrop, Paul wrote this letter it's originally a letter, the book of Galatians. He wrote this letter to Christians living in Asia Minor in the large Roman province that's known, that was known as Galatia. And though it had only been about 15 to 20 years after Christ's resurrection, uh, the gospel message of forgiveness and freedom through faith in Christ was already being distorted. Just 15 to 20 years after Jesus rose to life and ascended to heaven, false gospel was starting to infiltrate the church. Now, for roughly two-thirds of this letter that we call the book of Galatians, Paul rehashes for the Galatian Christians what the gospel is and what the gospel is not. Um, a few months ago, we looked at this letter. We, we, we walked through it verse by verse, so the book of Galatians, and we learned that the gospel is not freedom and forgiveness and salvation by our good works cooperating with Christ's death and resurrection. That is not the gospel. The gospel that we sing about every week, the gospel that we rally around every Sunday and we desire to rally around every Wednesday in our community groups and even beyond that, the gospel is salvation by faith in Christ's death and resurrection alone, full stop. Scholars have long called Paul's letter to the Galatians the Magna Carta of Christian liberty. I love that. His primary aim in this letter is to set the Galatians free from thinking that they have to clean themselves up before God will accept them and before they can truly become Christians. His aim is to set them free from this thinking. How many of us this morning need to be set free from this thinking? In chapter 5 of Galatians, verse 1, Paul writes, For freedom, Christ has set us free. How's that for redundancy? In verse 13 of chapter 5, for you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. And so for those of us in the room this morning who are desiring forgiveness and eternal life, hear this. There is nothing you need to do but to freely receive the work that Christ has already accomplished in his perfect life lived on earth, in his substitutionary sacrificial death, his miraculous resurrection, his invitation to trust him. 
This is the gospel. The, the gospel in the Greek is evangelion. It's where we get the word evangelistic or evangelism. It, it actually means, the word gospel means good news. When we go out to evangelize the lost, we are gospeling the lost. We are good newsing the lost. It's pretty awesome, I think. So that's the first two-thirds of this letter is Paul writing and reminding the Galatians what is the gospel and what is not the gospel. The final third of this letter, Paul rehashes for them because they would have already heard it from his mouth. He rehashes for the Galatian Christians what gospel freedom looks like in our lives. And in the second half of verse 13, we see that gospel freedom ought not serve as an opportunity for the flesh. We discussed that word in our community groups this week, flesh. It is this inherently sinful nature is what the flesh is used to describe in, in, in Scripture. Our gospel freedom ought not serve as an opportunity for the flesh. Why on earth would Christians want to take the forgiveness that we've received that cost Jesus his life and run right back into patterns of sin? That's kind of the logic. But we all do. Myself, first and foremost. It's what my kids do uh, every time we buy them a brand new pair of shoes. And yes, I'm, I'm slightly throwing you under the bus, Finn and Bray. I'm sorry. Uh, you know, they, they have their outside shoes that weren't designed to be outside. Those were church shoes, but they've worn them outside and completely ruined them. We go and we buy a new pair of shoes, and, and I kind of slightly lose my mind when I see them outside with those shoes on, right? You guys, for freedom, Christ has set you free. <laughs> Keep your shoes clean. <laughs> but we take our freedom in Christ and we run right back into the dirt with it. We run right back into bondage, into sexual immorality and impurity. Well, the list right there in verses 19 through 21, you know, it's pretty extensive. We can all see ourselves somewhere in that list. And nobody's doing much of sorcery, at least that I know of these days, but that word is really the concocting and overuse of drugs. You know that every one of those sins, well, actually, maybe you don't. Do you know what every one of those sins, those works of flesh has in common? The elevation of selfish desire above everyone and everything else. But the nine character traits that Paul urges the Galatian Christians and us to put on, well, we see those in verses 22 and 23. Love, joy, and peace. You, you see them. And you know what all of these traits have in common, right? The elevation of others over and above our selfish desires. It's really the outworking of what Paul wrote in verse 13. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. In other words, take the miraculous and merciful pardon and grace of Jesus Christ that has been bestowed, been bestowed upon you and 
give it to others and give yourself away. Gospel freedom is gospel fruitfulness. And gospel fruitfulness, as we will see, as we progress through this series, gospel fruitfulness is others-oriented. This is what we were made for. We were made to be others-oriented. The Bible teaches, we looked at this briefly last week, and I'll just give a minute and a half rehash of it. The Bible teaches that we were made in the image of God. We were created to look like Him. We were created to reflect His character on the earth. It just so happens that our one Creator God is also three persons. And since eternity passed before the earth was made, God the Father has loved God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. God the Son has loved God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit has loved God the Son and God the Father. Do we see a pattern? God himself within himself is others-oriented. He is not calling us into an other's orientation that he is not already living in. He's not shaking his fist saying, do as I say, not as I do. Only the Christian God, only the triune God can be within himself, loving to the point of being others focused. And then in creating us, not needing us, because he was already fully enveloped in love himself. So he is not dependent upon us. See, love has to have an object. He has an object within his own nature. Unbelievable. The Trinity is unbelievable. We ought to give ourselves to the study of it. Between the three persons of God is perfect love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Hallelujah. And so when God created us in his image, he created us to reflect such godly fruitfulness. But uh, it, it, it does not come naturally to us. Do you feel that? It does not come naturally to me. It does not come naturally to us as it once did because of our sin. And when I say not as naturally as it once did. You know, Adam and Eve were created, I, I believe, with the, the perfect ability to, in sinlessness, love and have joy and be peaceful and be patient. But with rebellion and sin, well, now our natural disposition is in separation from God. And as a result, yours and my reflection of God has been marred. We still reflect God. We are still image bearers, but not to the extent for which we were designed. We reflect God in the fact that we are relational creatures. God is relational, three in one. We were created to have relationship, right? We, we still bear the image of God, but not to the extent so easily as we did before the fall. And this is why, of course, Jesus came. He came to live the, the perfect fruit-bearing life that we did not. He came to take upon himself the sins of those who would come to trust him, to, 
to die on the cross in their place, to resurrect. And as he ascends into heaven before he does so, what does he say? He says, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. This is all part of God's miraculous redemptive plan that you and I would not be left as marred reflections of his image. The Holy Spirit is sent to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to make it real in our hearts through regeneration that we are born again and then the Holy Spirit indwells us in such a way that we are by him empowered to live a life of fruitfulness that we were designed for. God does all of the heavy lifting. It's unbelievable. What a merciful God. And today we're gonna consider Love, and, and love is really the, the conduit through which all of the other facets of fruit come to us. It will be impossible to have joy, to be peaceful, to be patient, to be kind without love, and all of which impossible without the empowering help of the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity. And so this morning, it's going to be very brief, very simple. As you'll recall, a couple of weeks ago, and as uh, the, the fourth and final installment of our, of our series that you may know, we ended on loving others. And, and so some of this will be a bit of a review, but hopefully there'll be some new stuff as well. I hope and pray that all of it is scriptural and that it's helpful to us this morning. And so for the rest of our time, we're going to look at two really simple things. Yeah, honestly, embarrassingly simple things, but, but here it is. Number one, what love is. Number two, how we are to walk in love. So if you're a note taker, I will now be under point number one here for a minute. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we looked at 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, and we read this. This is basically God putting on a silver platter a definition of love and handing it over to us. Here is what love is. In this is love, the Apostle John writes, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. He then continues in verse 11 with this exhortation. He says, beloved, if God loved us in this way, we also ought to love others in this way. And what we learn in this definition of love given to us by God, what we learn about godly, fruitful love in 1 John 4, verse 10 is twofold. Number one, we learn that love is not reactive. It is proactive. And number two, we learn that love is not superficial, it is sacrificial. So underneath point number one, what love is, let's look at A or number one, however you want to do it. Love is not reactive. The type of love that we see in God that we are to reflect and to image on the earth, the type of love that Jesus demonstrates and that the Holy Spirit empowers us to the type of love we're talking about is not reactive, it is proactive. Now that might seem obvious, 
but to various degrees, varying degrees, we are all guilty, each one of us, of what Tim Keller calls selfish affection. Selfish affection is is a counterfeit of love. It often feels loving, but here's what that is. It's when we love and serve someone because of their service to us or because of the way they make us feel about ourselves. I once heard a husband brag how he was starting to really sacrifice for his wife because she was finally giving him the respect he deserved. We all do this. That idiot husband was me. Uh, no, it, it, ha- it has been me so many times, it's, it's, it's embarrassing. We all do this. I'll apologize to her as soon as she apologizes to me. I'll help him move. <laughs> I'll help him unload the U-Haul truck because... Well, if I remember correctly, he helped me to unpack the the U-Haul truck. I'll take a meal to them because they once brought a meal to me. Surely, surely this is not the love we see in our others-oriented triune God. Our God who is constantly pouring out selfless affection. Consider again that verse that I read from 1 John 4.10. This is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. This is what's so outstanding about the Christian God of the Bible. Every other God of the world's religions wants his or her back scratched first. But hallelujah that the God of the Bible did not wait for our love before he gave us his. No, we sang it this morning. He gave his only son to make a wretch his treasure. Brings to mind Ephesians 2. Man, I am so glad God did not wait for my love to initiate his for me because I was dead in my trespasses and sins following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work and the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the flesh by nature. We're by by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive in Jesus. By grace we've been saved. This is not of our doing. It is not of our initiation. Praise you, Lord. Godly, fruitful love is not reactive. It is proactive toward others. It is not motivated by the way someone makes us feel about ourselves. This also is a counterfeit love. We sang this morning for our song of repentance. Lord, we fall upon our knees because we have shunned the weak and poor. We've worshiped beauty and courted kings for the things their gold affords. We've prayed for those we'd like to know. Favor sings a siren tune. We've become a talent show 
celebrating and being attracted to everyone's gifts and shiny things. Oh, Lord, instead lead us back to life and true love in you, which is not reactive. It is self-giving. It is proactive. Think about the people in your life, brother. Think about the people in your life, sister, whom you are most willing to give time and energy to. Think about the people whose calls you respond to first, whose emails take precedence over any other. Dig, we need to, we need to, as the community of Christ, we need to dig beneath the surface of our, well, I'm gonna jump the point a little early, but our superficial love. And we need to ask ourselves, is my affection, is my love for that person, in reality, is it, is it actually self-oriented? I think back to you know, high school and the silly things I would do to be accepted by some of the members of the popular crowd. The silly ways that I would serve some of them, if I was honest and, and really just an ounce self-reflective at that moment, I would have seen I did not really love those people. I loved what being near those people said about me. And man, how pervasive is this counterfeit love in my life still? But you know what? No one could have accused Jesus of this kind of love. That is one of the things that is just outrageously beautiful about him. When we dig through the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, man, we don't see Jesus going straight for the aristocrats the socialites, the power players, the big wigs. Yeah, he does entertain them. He does have a meal with them from time to time. But who do we see him inundated with? Up to his waist, up to his shoulders deep in prostitutes and sojourners and thieves and the tremendously impoverished and the diseased. He came to those who knew they hadn't loved God and they didn't deserve Jesus. So husbands, let me exhort you as we kind of just take this 30,000 30, foot view of love. It doesn't matter whether or not your wife is deserving of your caring, listening ear. You've been called to love her. It doesn't matter, students, if your teacher is deserving of your respectful tone. You've been called to love your teacher. Friends, it doesn't matter if your neighbor is deserving of your help shoveling the sidewalk or blowing off the driveway. Because the truth is this, none of us in this room has deserved the great love that God has poured out upon us. It was when we were least deserving that he, in the second half of that verse we were looking at in 1 John chapter 4, it was when we were least deserving that God sent his son to be the propitiation, that is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. While we were still sinners, 
Church, if there's any verse that you ought to memorize or tattoo on the back of your eyelids, it's that one. While, we were, while I was still sinning, Christ came and died. And of course, I wasn't even born, but all of human race, headlong, hell-bent into sin. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. Number two, underneath number one, if you're following that outline, as confusing as that is, the godly, fruitful love that we're called to reflect is not superficial. As we can see in Jesus, it is sacrificial. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Now, the idea of sacrifice, I understand and I can relate with this. It is a frightening thing to consider. Loving sacrifice is horrifying to people. In fact, a great deal of modern scholarship insists that fear is actually love's opposite, not indifference and not hatred. It's the fear. Our default mode is to self-protect. We are afraid to not self-protect. Giving ourselves to others and being others-oriented leaves us vulnerable but this is what God is calling us to. To love, not in a superficial way, but a sacrificial way. To love in this way is to act for the deepest good of someone else. Our spouse, our children, our friends and co-workers, now, this is incredibly important to understand, this idea of deepest good. Because the cultural moment in which we live would have us to define love as endorsing the deepest desires in someone else. The culture around us would have us to define love in a way of well, just simply giving someone what they want. We've heard it. Live and let live. Love and let love. But if you have uh, kids like I do, the most unloving thing I could possibly do for them is to simply give them what they want every day. Because what they want, and I hope I'm representing you appropriately, is to eat candy for dinner and to stay up all night and to never brush your teeth. <laughs> really, this was not a good Sunday for you guys to not be in class, was it? <laughs> My wife and I have a, have a Christian friend who wants us to leave her alone while she pursues a relationship that is not honoring to God. The Jews who lined the streets of Jerusalem at Jesus' triumphal entry. Can you picture it with me? We know, the, we know the scene. It's Good Friday. Jesus is entering into the city. Jews on either side celebrating with palm branches, crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. The Jews... What did they most want in that moment? They wanted a king, but they wanted that king to come in and to overthrow the Roman regime and usher in a time of peace in the here and the now. Can you imagine how unloving it would have been for the Christ 
to give them what they most wanted in that moment. He was coming in to be king. He was coming to overthrow a regime, but it was the regime of Satan himself. He was coming to die. He was coming to save the world, not just the Jews. Had Jesus given the Jews what they most wanted in the name of love, you and I and all of us would still be dead in our trespasses. To love in the way that we are to reflect in God is to act for the deepest good of others. And that is, in fact, what we see Jesus doing all throughout the gospel accounts, is it not? The woman at the well, she probably just desired a quick sip of water and to be on her way. That's what she wanted. Praise Jesus, he didn't give her what she wanted. He took the time to inquire and to ask some seriously introspective questions. And it was to the salvation of her soul. Praise Jesus that he models for us acting for the deepest good of others. I wonder how often my love falls short of that. This is one of the reasons, and this is a hot button issue. And the reason it's a hot button issue is that I'm gonna bring it up right now is because we're all gonna come across this at some point in time the gay community would have us to love them by endorsing what we see in the word to be death. It would in fact be unloving of us to not patiently and gently and kindly and sacrificially at the risk of our own reputation and friendship to them at times it would be unloving of us to say no. Well, no, it would be unloving of us to say yes. And it would be Christ-like of us to say what scripture says and to pray for them and to walk with them and to love them as best we can. The heart of it all is simply this. God sacrificed himself for our deepest good while we were wretched and unworthy, while we were unrepentant. God acted for our deepest good by sending the Son to die so that we might live. Now it begs the question, as it, as it will throughout this entire series, you know, we're just glimpsing love this morning. We're just, this is just a glimpse. I know you guys know that. But how are we to walk? Even in these few examples that I've portrayed, how are we to walk in godly, fruitful love? The only way that you and I, in a sustaining way, can walk in godly, fruitful love is by the enabling power of God the Holy Spirit. Now, here's what I'm not saying when I say that. Many of us can point toward friends, maybe even atheists, who don't love God and aren't filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit, who really do sacrificially love their wives and their kids. So I am not taking from them that that is, in measure, possible 
But what I am saying is that it is limited. And only those who are indwelled and filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, only those who are filled by the Holy Spirit will be able to, in a limitless, that is non-exhaustive fashion, love sacrificially the way we are supposed to. Because think of it, you know, we relate to, to use the agricultural metaphor, you know, Paul talks about fruit. Fruit, when it's chopped off from the vine, still looks quite fruitly. Uh, it's, it's bright red or, or yellow, whatever the color is, it still smells good, it still tastes good for a time. But the moment that fruit is lobbed off the vine, is it not already beginning to die? And see, this is the example and, and, and really the, the thrust that I'm trying to make is that detached from the vine who is Christ, detached from the power of the Holy Spirit within us, our love is essentially, while maybe looking ripe at times, our love is essentially dying. Now, even attached to the vine, I don't know about you, but my flesh wants to love reactively, and my flesh wants to love superficially. Diary, uh, desiring and pursuing the deepest good of someone else is not something that comes naturally to me because, well, like you, like all of us, apart from Christ, you know, we're born in flesh, and, and in flesh we will remain apart from the miraculous work of God. But when we walk by the Holy Spirit, when you and I this morning are starting to catch glimpses in our souls of just the counterfeit love that our life is filled with, the superficial love that our life is filled with, when we begin to see these things, man, it is an act and work of the Holy Spirit that we're able to even recognize it. And now as we see that our love is falling short of reflecting the perfect love of God, we have the opportunity not just to recognize it, but by the Holy Spirit, we can confess it. We can ask him for forgiveness, which Jesus promises to answer and to forgive. And we can ask for his continued power from the Spirit to turn the counterfeit loves in our lives over to godly, sacrificial, proactive love. And the way that will look and the way that plays out as every day you and I get to ask that God would give us the fruit of love in our lives, then we can turn around and we can act, we can give of our time and our talent and our money. And, you know, you can, you can love others in your community group or in this congregation on a budget in this way. Are you simply available to people in your life? One way that we can sacrificially and proactively love others is not to squeeze and jam-pack our schedules to the absolute gills to leave some time, to leave some space for us to be available to those around us who need us. And when that person in our community group does call, another way we can love them on a budget is to be fully present in that moment. 
How many of us think this way? How many of us love others in this way? And, and, and this is what that would look like. You know, brother, you need to meet up. I would be happy to do that. I've got some space. I've got some margin here. I've worked it into the calendar. I'm gonna come over. I'm gonna turn off my phone. I'm gonna look at you in the eye. I'm gonna listen with all of the attention that I have. I'm gonna ask follow-up questions. I'm gonna pray that the Lord would give me creativity as to how I might be able to help you or pray for you. In fact, you know what? In, in the moment, sometimes you might just need a friend to listen and I'm willing to do that for you. Can you imagine how healthy of a church we would be if we all had somebody in our lives, even within this fellowship, that was doing that with us? This is what Paul talks about, or no, it's, uh, it's Jesus in, in uh, I believe, John 13. When, when others look into relationships like I've just described, they're going to know that we're, we're Jesus' disciples. It's so otherworldly. Nobody, nobody is self-giving to this extent for a forever period of time, which is what the Holy Spirit enables us to do. Um, I've really gone over. I'm sorry. I'm going to just give a couple more, um, a couple more thoughts. Uh, ways that we can love by the power of the Holy Spirit is to forgive. Man, some of us in this room are carrying around some serious baggage, some serious hurt. And in fact, it would be a sacrificial gesture and even proactive gesture to even now as the Holy Spirit begins to bring up examples in our lives, it would be a gesture of God-given, spirit-empowered love for you to right now ask the Lord to help you forgive that person. For some of us, it might be that our proactive, sacrificial love is displayed in repentance. Maybe somebody right now by the Holy Spirit is coming to mind whom you know you have wronged. You know you said something about them that you shouldn't have, that was hurtful. You know that you weren't there for them when you needed to be. Maybe ask the Holy Spirit to empower you to go to that person in humility and ask their forgiveness. What a powerful demonstration of love. And that's one of the most obvious manifestations of, of spirit-empowered love because no one in their flesh likes to repent. But as we will see, love is the gateway through which the rest of the fruit comes. Now, if you're discouraged as I close, um, you know, brother or sister, if your trust, if your faith is in the work of Jesus and you know that he has canceled your debt, that you have been freed and saved from your sin, that you are in fact a Christian and you're discouraged by the fact that, well, maybe I, I don't really love let me encourage you this way as I'll encourage you with the rest of the fruit. There's a reason why Paul uses the agricultural metaphor. Fruit grows gradually. 
It doesn't mean that we shouldn't pursue it with zeal. We should pursue it with zeal. We should wake up in the morning and cry out to the Lord as our Bibles are open and we're looking for ways that we can wisely love others. We should be asking the Holy Spirit to help us love. But fruit grows gradually. And so watch slowly as we progress through this series for his his work. Fruit also grows inevitably. If you're being watered and rooted in the word of God and in prayer, fruit is going to grow. How wonderful of a thought is that? It grows internally. We talked about the Chinese bamboo tree several weeks ago. It was an illustration I used. In a pot, there's a seed. It takes five years of watering that seed before it ever breaks up through the soil, a Chinese bamboo tree. And finally, at year five, it grows so fast that it's almost a millimeter a minute. Unbelievable. Folks, that is what's going on when we are faithfully being watered and buried into the soil of the word and in prayer. There is work going on internally that will spring forth into fruit. Lastly, lastly, the the fruit that Paul speaks of grows symmetrically. It's not fruits of the Spirit. It is fruit. Love is the conduit through which all of the other aspects of fruit grow. They all grow together. They all grow together, which is a wonderfully encouraging thought as we continue in this series. And what I hope that we see and we're encouraged by is that gospel freedom is gospel fruitfulness. And gospel fruitfulness, as we see in the fruit of the Spirit, all nine character traits, is others-oriented. This is what we were made for. And so to trust God and to live into what we were made for will make us the happiest and most fulfilled believers that we can be on this side of his return. Amen? Would you pray with me? Well, God, we, we thank you for this attribute, this characteristic of you, this love that we see in Scripture, this love that was poured out for us in that while we were still centered, Christ, sinners, Christ came and he was the propitiation for our sin. We thank you that you are an others-oriented God in yourself And we thank you that you are an others-oriented God in your love for us. Lord, help us, show us, and convict us by the love we see in Scripture and and empower us, Lord, to, to go and to love others the same. Starting with our spouses, if we are married, or our children, if we have kids, or our family members, if we have them, or our friends, neighbors, co-workers, We ask that you would make us a loving church, a church that sacrificially desires and pursues the deepest good of those around us. Give us creative ideas, Lord, with which we can use to to pour out this love. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.